entities and unique individuals that are present in this world is part of God, God's divine plan. And learning about other cultures and learning how to respect them is respecting God's divine plan to have different groups which coexist. So this is something which is, I'm really privileged to be able to bring here. And beyond that point, there's the obvious point, which I'm sort of preaching to the choir here, is that when a, a patient is felt, feels that the staff are sensitive to his individual needs, then he feels that he's not just being treated as for his disease, but the whole person is being noticed with their unique concerns and unique individual needs. And that creates almost more sense of a trust to his medical team. And it's obviously an atmosphere more conducive for healing. So that's, I'm sure, something you're very familiar with. But that's why I'm so passionate about the class today. And we believe in Judaism that it's our job to partner with God in creating the world. Now, the world's already created. But our job is to partner with God in creating a more perfect world. And of course, a key ingredient to that is creating a bridge between all cultures to learn to respect each other, respect each other's unique needs, and treating each other with respect will create a more loving and peaceful world, and will definitely is a step in creating a world where everyone is appreciative, peaceful, and loving to one another. Even we appreciate our human core, but we also appreciate the uniqueness of each other. So that's my goal today, to really open a window to some elements of Jewish observance. And I've chosen six topics, which might be the most relevant to you here in a hospital setting, which is kosher, the Sabbath, holidays, prayer, birth, and end-of-life care. Now, obviously, it's impossible to cover any religion in a 45-minute session, or any culture, um, and even all the more so Jewish culture. So of course, I'm only providing an overview. And even within these six topics, it's only going to paint a broad picture. Every patient has their individual needs and their individual way of practice, the way they grow up, their ethnicity, their religious group. It may have been something which, which has changed. Uh, and it's different from what I will say here. So I'm trying to paint the picture today as broad as possible. And my message to you would be to always feel comfortable to ask the patient what is his or her needs and how they could be, how you could be of service to them. You know, in Judaism, we say that the bashful will not learn. And the only not good question is the one left unasked. So the patient would love to hear from you how you could help them and and my goal today is really to give you an understanding of what questions to ask so you could be informed of what they might be concerned about. But, and obviously, I, am, I, am, I, I live here, I'm local, I'm always available to reach out to me. I'll, I will distribute my contact information at the end of today, and my information is up on the screen. Definitely, if you have a question, if there's a patient that has a question, I do invite you to view me as a resource to address those questions, I'm very happy to be helpful in that regard. Now, having said that, let's begin. So it's always good to begin with food. So we'll start with uh, the kosher diet. Now, kosher is many times mistaken 
as food that is blessed by a rabbi. Um, that's not what kosher is. Kosher, the kosher laws are a set of rules which the Torah, excuse me, the Torah ruled um, how to eat food. And the idea behind it is that as human beings, we're always governed by our impulses. If we want to eat a burger, we eat a burger. Want to eat ice cream, we eat ice cream. Sometimes we eat a burger and ice cream together because that's what we want to do. Um, And we really just go wherever we want to go. That's a natural human condition. And the Torah wants us to be disciplined and control our impulses instead of our impulses controlling us. So that's the idea of kosher that Judaism teaches us to consuming food should be in a disciplined way. Um, And another idea of kosher is that it brings holiness to our activities. Our activity of eating may be a very mundane, human, animalistic-like activity, but doing it in the framework of keeping the kosher laws transforms it into a, a, a holy platform that's a service to God. And there, therefore, many Jews choose to eat only dishes that are supported by the kosher diet. That's the idea of kosher. And I'll just give a brief basic overview of some of the more common kosher laws. The first one is that certain animals, birds, fish, and insects are not consumed. The most obvious ones, which many of you have probably heard about, is that Jews don't eat pork or bacon. Uh, Many Jews won't eat any type of shellfish. So when Jews are, a Jewish patient may be offered uh, pork, he may be a little distraught, He um, he might refuse to eat it. So those are some laws which are relevant. Um, Another law is that when animals and birds are eaten, the ones that aren't part of the list which are not, they are slaughtered in a a very specific manner, very humane manner, which therefore therefore there's the idea of kosher meat, which are sold in stores. It means that that meat was, was only prepared in a certain manner, which makes it kosher. Um, and many times, because of the specific manner where it has to be performed, it is only done under rabbinical supervision. And therefore, there, therefore, there is the idea that it's food blessed by a rabbi. It's not really blessed. It's more supervised. And another famous one is that Jews don't eat meat and milk together. They won't have a cheeseburger. These are just some of the laws of kosher. Um, there's a lot of more details. And again, Jews have different level of observance, of practice, and many Jews won't, will, will eat whatever you serve them, and many Jews, some Jews won't. My job today is just to make you aware, if you come across something, how to feel comfortable about it. Um, I believe as of now, there isn't a kosher meal plan here, but if there will be, then some patients may feel overwhelmed. They're already dealing with a lot of decisions in the hospital setting. They won't think to ask about what's available. So letting patients know about kosher meal plans or kosher options in the menu is definitely something which will be very helpful and make them feel cared for. And for specific observances, again, just ask. Um, 
And if you do come across a patient which is very particular about kosher, um, call me. I'll see how I could help. But um, that's, in a nutshell, what the idea of kosher is about. The next idea which we'll discuss, the second idea, is the idea of, of the Sabbath. The idea of Sabbath um, it reminds me of the story of a person, of um, John, he came to his boss and he said, boss, um, my, my wife and kids, were, my wife's having, it's my daughter's graduation and my wife wants me to come. It's a very special opportunity. All my kids will be there, my grandparents will be there. My wife really wants me to go to this, to this graduation. Could I take off work? And John's boss says, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're, we're very tight tomorrow. I, I don't think you could do that. So John replies, thanks, boss. I knew I could count on you. So that's the idea of Sabbath, that actually today, even more than any time in history, we really need one day to disengage from the world around us. The world has so much noise. It's so fast-paced. We're multitasking. We have our Facebook and TikTok and uh, Instagram and YouTube that we have to catch up on. And our work is very fast-paced. Um, our phones are always on, and we have to respond to everything within two minutes or else. So it's a very fast-paced world. So the Torah teaches us that one day a year, one day a week, which is a Sabbath, which in Hebrew, the translation of Sabbath, Shabbat, means to cease, to rest, to cease from all activities which take up our week, and instead spend the time to focus on our families, our values, our blessings, and rejuvenate and feel refreshed for the coming week to focus on why we do it and not what we're doing. Um, by the time Shabbos ends, we are rejuvenated. We're ready to engage again with the world. And another powerful point about Shabbos is that throughout the week, we're always taking from the resources God provides us. We use fuel to drive our cars. We use electricity to power our homes. We, we kindle fire to cook our meals. Another part of the Jewish Sabbath is not to impose any changes on God's natural resources. We don't cook or, or extinguish fire. We don't plant. We don't reap. We don't build. We don't demolish, write, erase, tear. All the different weekly activities throughout the week we cease to do on the Sabbath. And that's out of respect for the rule God gave us. So now that we understand what, what Sabbath is about, now I can speak a little bit about the specific observances of a basic overview of what Sabbath may be, and especially how it may be in a hospital setting. So, although Saturday begins 12 o'clock at midnight, the Jewish Sabbath does be, starts Friday at sunset and ends Saturday at nightfall. So therefore, the time when Sabbath enters differs, it's different throughout the year. In the winter, it's earlier in the day. In the summer, like nowadays, it's very late. It starts Friday at sunset and ends Saturday at nightfall. So therefore, you could have a Saturday afternoon where it's not Shabbos anymore for a Jewish patient and a Friday afternoon where it already is Shabbos, depending when, night, when, sun, when sundown is. Um, it's available if you need a calendar, it is available online, exact time when Jewish, when Sabbath enters here in Gainesville. 
Now, the way Jews usher in the Sabbath is by lighting Shabbat candles. The candles promote a, a symbolic sense of serenity and symbolizes the sanctity of the Sabbath day. It's been the custom of Jews for thousands of years, and it's actually usually the tradition of the woman. And then when there's a Jewish couple, the woman is the one that brings that holiness into the home. Now, a Jewish patient in the hospital might want to light Sabbath, Sabbath candles, even if they don't light throughout the year, maybe in a time where they're medically challenged, they might feel comforted and encouraged by lighting those candles. Now, we can't, most hospitals, and I'm assuming this one's included, won't allow fire unsupervised in a room, but it is possible to light electric candles. It's totally okay, which are very, very safe, and that's an, something which you can make Jewish patients aware of come Friday if they would like to light these electric candles. I have some, and I will give some soon to the spiritual care office, and they can make those available to your Jewish patients. There are many other laws and customs associated with Shabbos. Um, there are many activities that Jews won't do. Some Jews won't use any electricity. But again, this is a broad picture, and this is a basic overview especially the candles, is something which might be relevant here. Um, again, and for specific observances, just ask. Just ask the patient what they, she or he prefers within his Shabbos observance. Some people would want to have a, a small Sabbath meal at their bedside. Um, there is a tradition of having a, of a, of a Sabbath meal with um, making a kiddush and grape juice. Just ask, and if there's any way that I could help, once again, definitely feel free to reach out to me. Um, let's speak a little bit about some Jewish holidays throughout the year. Holidays are, you know, are, it's a challenging time for all patients in the hospital. It's a time when they're usually surrounded by family, and to be in a hospital during a holiday time, I'm sure you experienced it's, it's a challenge. Um, it could be... A, it could be a, it could be, they could grow anxious. Um, some people would want to be discharged before the holiday begins, so they, they could be home. Um, and therefore, it's important to know that Jewish calendar dates are different each year because the Jewish calendar depends on the lunar calendar as opposed to the Gregorian calendar, which is a solar calendar. The dates differ every single year. Um, so therefore, it's important to be aware that the dates are different, and therefore it's good to always be updated when those Jewish holidays are. Um, I actually believe Chris and I discussed having added, have it, having it added to the calendar here. Um, and if not, you could definitely, I'm happy to furnish with a, a calendar with the Jewish dates. Um, and again, some patients might prefer to be discharged before the holidays, so that's why it's good to know when they are. And again, every patient celebrates holidays differently. So before holidays arrive, again, it's worth it to ask the patient how would they like the holiday celebrated for them, whether they celebrate it usually or they don't, what they want to celebrate it this time, and so forth. So, you know, we all have lots of holidays, but I'm going to focus on the five major Jewish holidays throughout the year, and I'll try to highlight what could be important in a hospital setting. So the first Jewish holiday in the year is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of humanity. It's a date that commemorates the day when God created Adam and Eve. 
Um, Adam and Eve is all of our, is the grandfather of everybody here. Um, and therefore, it's the birthday of all humanity. And a birthday is the day when God tells us, you matter, I put you in this world. So it's a day to reflect about how we could use out our potential, which God put us here for, and to engage in reflection on how we could better ourselves. And therefore, one of the um, ways Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah is by blowing the shofar, the ram's horn, which you have there in the right corner of your screen. It's a, it's a horn which produces a, a music which is sort of like an emotional cry and inspires a sense of remorse for any inappropriate behavior we had throughout the year. And it makes us think about it makes us think about how we could improve the year. So Rosh Hashanah is a very important day in the Jewish calendar. Many Jews who won't attend synagogue the whole year will attend in Rosh Hashanah. Um, sometimes rabbis or Jewish volunteers would want to come visit Jewish patients and blow the horn for them. Um, if uh, it could be done in a very quiet manner, it doesn't have to disturb other patients. So that's something you may see around that time of year. Someone might come by and visit a friend or family and would want to blow that horn for them to give them that opportunity on the holiday. So that's Rosh Hashanah. After Rosh Hashanah, and that's the standing of the shofar, which I just spoke about. After Rosh Hashanah comes Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is eight days after Rosh Hashanah, and it's the Day of Atonement. It's after we celebrated God creating us, we continue along that theme of, of, of repenting. And Yom Kippur is the day which God forgives our sin. And therefore, many Jews spend this day all day in prayer in the synagogue. And the Bible calls for Jews to fast on that day to create a sense of submission. And that creates an atmosphere which is conducive to, to repentance. Um, some patients might want to fast when it comes to Yom Kippur. Um, obviously, some won't medically be able to. Um, so it's good to engage with patients and make them aware of what their limitations are. Um, establish maybe a plan if they do need to have medical nutrition, if they could fast for a portion of the day. Um, and definitely advise patients to consult with their rabbi who could, who could advise them on how to balance their religious and medical needs. Um, but in Judaism, the value of life is the most important. So if there is a question of a person's um, life, then the fasting is obviously pushed off. Sukkot is a seven-day holiday, which is five days after Yom Kippur. These are the three holidays in the beginning of the year, the Jewish high holiday period. It's known as a holiday of booths. Many Jews sit outside in a booth covered by foliage, and it reminds us of the cloud canopy which protected the Jews when they traveled through the desert for 40 years. And it's a holiday of gratitude, of thanking God for that protection. And another, another aspect of that holiday is this waving of the four kinds. Many, we are command, the Bible commands us for those seven days to bring together uh, a citron, a myrtle branch, a willow, and a palm branch, and bring them together and wave them. And it's a symbol of gratitude how God took the Jews from the desert, which has no foliage, 
and brought them into the land of Israel, which is, has these types of plants in abundance. So a rabbi or a friend might come visit patients on those days and bring these four, they can't bring the booth, but they could bring the four kinds and show them, bring it to the patient and allow them to perform that, that ceremony. It's done, could be done very quietly without disturbing anyone. And that's something you might see around those times. And again, it's something you could let your Jewish patients know about if they would prefer a visit um, to have those, that mitzvah done with them. The most fun holiday is the holiday of Hanukkah or Hanukkah or two of the ways of spelling it. Um, it's an eight-day holiday, which is, all the holidays I mentioned before is usually in September or October. It's one of those two months. This year, it's going to be at the end of September, beginning of October. Um, and the holiday of Hanukkah is usually at the end of November and beginning of December, sometimes the end of December. Um, Hanukkah celebrates the victory of religious freedom. The Jews in in the second century BCE were, were under the regime of the Syrian Greeks who severely restricted religious observance and the Maccabees led a rebellion to liberate the Jewish, the Jews in Israel to, and allow them to keep their religions and traditions and therefore it's a holiday which celebrates religious freedom and the ability we have to celebrate our religions openly. Um, and another aspect of that holiday is that when the Jews reclaimed the temple, one of the services in the temple was to light the menorah. There was no oil left in the temple because the Greeks made sure to remove and defile all the oil so it shouldn't be used. So they only found a small jug of oil. They used that to light the menorah. It would take them eight days to produce more oil and they managed that oil miraculously stayed lit for eight days. So to commemorate that, Jews light the Hanukkah menorah, which is lit for eight days on that holiday. So many Jewish patients will appreciate the ability to celebrate the holiday, whether that means by just eating the, the lafkes or the donuts or lighting the menorah. Unlike the Shabbat candles, which can be lit with battery-powered uh, light bulbs, the menorah is preferable to kindle with actual flames. Um, so sometimes, if it's possible, some hospitals will set aside a safe space, such as a chapel, which would allow the flames to light for about 30 minutes under supervision. But that is the holiday of Hanukkah. It's a very, very celebrated holiday. Patients would definitely feel like they're missing out if they're not, if they're not home. So it's just a time to be aware of what is a celebration then and to be sensitive towards that and offer what you can, which is specifically lighting the menorah and celebrating the Hanukkah with the other traditions. And the final holiday which I'll speak about is the holiday of Passover. Passover is an eight-day holiday. It's usually celebrated in March or April. It's a holiday which commemorates the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt 2,000 years ago. Um, it celebrates our freedom from bondage, from slavery, um, and really the birth of the Jewish nation, of the Jewish people. It's a holiday celebrated by 
um, some not eating bread and only eating matzah. Um, some parts of the holiday are similar to Sabbath in the sense that Jews won't work or they won't use their phone. And a big part of that holiday is eating the matzah and having a seder, which is a Jewish meal which celebrates the experience of the exodus. Um, and the, the highlight of that seder is eating the matzah, which is the food of freedom, the food which the Jews ate when they left Egypt. Um, patients on Passover would want to have the ability to celebrate those holidays, whether it's by eating, having some matzah available to them, or having conducting a seder at their bedside, which can be done quietly, doesn't need to interfere with anyone. Um, it just requires the proper food ingredients and the book. Um, so this year we actually had the privilege of bringing some matzah over to distribute. And um, if that's something you could offer, definitely feel free to reach out. Um, some may want to inquire if it's com compatible with their diet. If any of you ever had matzah, could have a little hard effect um, on your stomach. So that's definitely something some patients would want to inquire. Um, and that's the holiday of Passover. And the last holiday, it's actually the sixth one, is Purim, which is a joyous holiday. It's the salvation of Jewish people from the annihilation decree of Haman. And it's the joy most joyous holiday on the calendar. Um, one of the aspects done, done, done then is reading the Megillah and eating those traditional foods. Reading the Megillah is a scroll which has a story of Purim, and Jews may want to traditionally listen to that being read, and they may want to read that in the hospital. A rabbi might come and visit them, or a volunteer or a friend might come and visit them and read that quietly to them at their bedside. So that's another thing you might see around Purim, which is usually in March. That covers most of the Jewish holidays. And again, I want to stress that there are many different types of Jews and have many different uh, observances. Many of them I tell you, this is the way it's supposed to be for everybody. Um, so you could be my, so everyone is unique. And again, I encourage you to bear that in mind. Let's speak about prayer, which is the fourth thing on today's agenda. Uh, prayer is one is it's a very important ideal, and it's it's especially when someone's in a hospital setting. You know, th we're used to thinking of our life as a a life that we could we run ourselves. If we need a car, we buy a car. If we need a house, we call a real estate agent. Um, if 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 um, we step in to solve our own problems, um, and that's how it should be, but. The wrinkle is that none of our solutions would be successful if not for God's blessing. Like King David says, if God would not guard the city, its guardians guarded in vain. Um, we have to do our action and our responsibility to do what we can do to make what we need happen, but it is with God's blessing. And our prayers reflect this reality that we're asking God to bless our actions. Um, and that's what Jewish prayers consist of, of praising God and thanking him for his blessings in the past and making requests for the future. Um, we don't make these requests of God to inform of our, of our needs. He already knows them, but God set up the world in a way that 
the, that some of the blessings he gives us is only upon requests. And that, create a sense, that creates a sense of connection to God. It creates a sense of, it creates a sense of a relationship, of a communicative relationship which we have with God. And actually the Hebrew word for prayer is tefillah, which means to connect. So the word prayer doesn't really exist in Hebrew. It's, the word is tefillah, which literally means connection. And connection, connecting is what prayer is all about. And all the more so, a patient in a hospital who's challenged by medical difficulties would feel, or not, may or may not feel the need to pray. Um, one of the ways that Jews pray is with tefillin. Now, what is tefillin? Tefillin are phylacteries in English. Now, what are phylacteries? Uh, phylacteries... I don't believe if you ever heard translated the word, the English won't help. But what you see right there in that picture are phylacteries tefillin. Those are black leather boxes with leather straps, which contain within them a scroll, which contains specific passages of the Bible, which speak about God's power and unity. And the Bible says you should write it upon your hearts and your heads, and therefore the tefillin are worn at the head adjacent to the brain, on the arm adjacent to the heart, and it symbolizes the mind and soul connection a person has with God. And these are every uh, Jewish male males pray with uh, tefillin once a day besides for the Sabbath and the holidays. Then they don't need that special connection because it's a special day. Um, and therefore, friends or a rabbi may visit a patient and offer him to put on those phylacteries, those tefillin. You may have seen someone wearing it on a plane, maybe. Um, those are the way that some Jewish males pray. Um, even if they don't put it on throughout the year, they may want to put it on when they're in a need, in a, in a medical situation. So just my goal here is just to make you aware of what they are. If you ever come across them, you should know what they are. Um, and they, they, if if there is a, you know, a bandage or an IV, and those arms, then they can be placed around them. They shouldn't have to interfere with any medical um, tubes, which should be there. And if it's impossible, such as if the hand is in a cast, then they aren't placed at all. Um, th that's the idea of the fill-in. Every patient has different expectations of prayer. Um, and again, the best practice is to just ask the patient what they would like in their prayer. The Judaism also has a prayer book and Psalms written by King David, which enables Jews to pray in the traditional way. Um, let's speak a little bit about childbirth. Childbirth is an amazing experience. Um, the Talmud says there are three partners in a human being, the father, the mother, and God, because birth can't happen without God's intervention. It's, it's an experience which gives a human being the power to be part of something infinite, of an everlasting change. Um, he, God could have created every human being like he created Adam and Eve, but he chose that it should be in a way of that we could partner with him in creating him. And the medical professionals which participate in a childbirth are also partnering with God in that, in that amazing event. Um, so it's a really sacred partnership. 
Um, and it's practically gratifying as Jews because it, present, it symbolized another link in the chain of the continuation of Judaism and our her heritage. Now, we're, 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 uh, we're, uh, we're, the, where childbirth might be relevant in a hospital setting is circumcision of a baby boy. In Jewish tradition, male circumcision is uh, one of the a sacred rutile. And when God chose Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people, he instructed him to circumcise all his male sons on the eighth day. Um, so it is done, and because it's a, it's a Jewish tradition, it's done. Many of the Jewish families would want to have it done by a trained specialist in, uh, in that ceremony. Um, these are specialists which have performed it thousands of times. So they are professional in their field. Um, so sometimes if the baby is healthy, the, when the baby is discharged after eight days, you know, even earlier, and it's done at home. Um, and sometimes if whatever, for whatever reason, it may be, if it's something not healthy, then if the baby is healthy enough to be circumcised and it has to be done in a hospital, it may be done. And um, that is something which you can also be aware of. Um, on the unfortunate side, in Jewish tradition, a stillborn or a miscarriage or uh, aborted uh, fetuses um, are recognized. If they're recognizable in a human form, then Jewish tradition is to bury those in a cemetery. So those may be, if a Jewish family has that unfortunate occurrence happen to them, uh, such as a stillborn or a miscarriage, um, a rabbi may be consulted if the family prefers, and a Jewish funeral home will come and pick up the, the body and will collect it. Um, and can definitely inform such a patient that the rabbi or their clergy member is there to guide them in that need. And the last thing on our agenda is the last thing in life, uh, post-mortem care. Now, in Jewish tradition, uh, a corpse is a sacred entity. Just like a Torah scroll is something sacred, if you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue, they take out the scroll and everyone kisses it. It's, very, it's considered very holy, but it's really, in reality, a Torah scroll is an animal hide, a parchment, which has ink written on it. And we're giving it respect because of the soul which was infused in that, in that uh, anim animal. So we took something mundane and gave it holiness. And a human body is the exact same thing. We have our body, which was mundane. It's animalistic. But within the body, we have a soul, which infused it with godliness and spirituality and holiness. And throughout a person's life, they use their body to be helpful and kind and perform any good deeds. And every time they did that, they made their body a little bit holier. So when a person passes on, their body retains that holiness. So even though it just started out as flesh and bones, that body retains that divinity. And, and therefore, the body is given respect. At the time of death, a body is given respect and the famous, there's a, there's a parable to bring out this idea that there's a king that had 
twin sons, which were identical. And one grew up to become the crown prince, the prince and king, and took over his father. And the other one became a thief and a robber, a highwayman. And it came the day that the prince, the thief prince, was caught, and he was sentenced to death. And the tradition in that country was that someone who was sentenced to death was hanged. However, his brother, the king, refused to let him hang. He said, he looks just like me. He's identical to me. If you let him hang, they're going to say that they, they hung the king, so we can't hang him. And the message of that story is that every human being is created in God's image. The Bible says that God created Adam in his image. So therefore, not respecting a human body is not respecting the creator, the image of what it's created in. So therefore, Judaism and Jewish tradition is a lot of respect given to a body. And it's not just, in truth, we're all custodians of our body. Our body is given to us by God, and it's our responsibility to keep it healthy. And it's also our responsibility to give it back to God when we're finished with the body. Now, the spiritual part of the soul goes up to heaven, but the body came from the earth, so our responsibility is to bring it back and put it back in the earth. So therefore, in Jewish tradition, burial is encouraged, and there are therefore many laws revolving around post-mortem care in connection with these two points. And a Jewish funeral home is familiar with all those laws, and they collect the body and perform this funeral in accordance with those laws, which are many laws, and we won't go into detail here. Um, but a basic overview is that, of course, when it comes to time of death, some families would want to invite a rabbi. A rabbi at that time could be of a comforting presence. He might be able to console the family. And he also could perform the end-of-life prayers with the patient. In Jewish tradition, at the end of life, a patient, uh, a person requests God for forgiveness before he enters the heavenly realm. And at that time, a, a, a rabbi can help a person perform those prayers. If a patient's unable to recite the prayers at that time, then the rabbi and the family re may recite it on their behalf. So it's a time that the rabbi is invited. Now, after death, a in Jewish tradition, we want to have a constant presence near the deceased, which is a part of showing that respect. Um, so the family or the rabbi may ask if someone can come in and be next to the deceased, if either in the same room or in an adjoining room or next to the morgue, um, just to, to sit quietly next to the body and pray till burial. And in Jewish tradition, burial is expedited and wants to be held as soon as possible. So. Some Jewish families may request an expedited release from the hospital. Um, and of course, any, uh, it's appreciated if that can be done. Um, and because he mentioned earlier that a body is, from, is treated with respect and it's all on loan from God, that includes the whole body. So if for, there's sometimes um, other parts of the body which need to be collected and included um, in Jewish tradition, whether it's, um, it's parts, uh, skin, bone fragments, tissue, 
all of those, um, even blood, if it seeped out before death or at the time of death, all of those um, in Jewish tradition are collected and sent along with the, to the funeral home uh, to be buried. Um, and once again, many, there's, there's a lot of different traditions and a lot of different um, patients have unique needs. Um, and there's a diversity of practice among Jews. So it's important to ask the family what they prefer and what their needs are. Um, if you need a file with contact info with the rabbis and funeral homes, which are Jewish funeral homes, that is obviously something which is it's good to have. Now, that concludes all the topics which I wanted to cover in this course. I really admire all the remarkable work that you do, um, caring for, caring for, for the, the, the ill. And in Jewish tradition, medical work is God's work. Um, God created an imperfect world and he wants us to be a part of perfecting it. Um, and bringing healing to the ill is really God's work. And members of the medical community are divine agents to bring God's healing to humanity. So I truly admire your work. And we covered a few important topics in Judaism. And some, I hope you find it helpful. I hope you find it relevant. Um, and there's many, there's many, there's many, many things which we did not discuss. We didn't discuss infertility, uh, mental health, treatment, all of those items we didn't discuss. And of course, there's nothing which is le more or less important. Um, all of those items are, all of those subjects are very important and ve nothing's a lesser priority. Um, we are, you know, I don't want to keep you here all week and... Yeah, that, you know, we're, we are limited. So we are selective because of our time. And I hope that these are issues that are the most relevant to this facility. And should you have any other questions, definitely feel free to reach out to me. I will have, at the end, as, as you leave, please take from me a uh, business card, which is my contact info, and a little uh, booklet, which can really contains a summary of everything we discussed here today. Um, and with that, if a patient would want to consult with a rabbi, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm here, I'm available. And on behalf of the Jewish community here in Hall, I thank you very much for participating here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. nurse and I uh, do a lot of uh, end-of-life education and have had a lot of experience with the Jewish community in Atlanta when I worked in Atlanta. 
But I can't remember, um, I've been here 20 years, and that was 15, and I was there 15, so we haven't had a lot of Jewish patients in my experience here on the cancer floor to die. So are, are there special garments, um, positioning, anointing, and do the prayers need to be said before they, they pass? If we know that they're passing away, do they need to be said before or can they be said after they've actually died? That's a great question. Um, some of those prayers are said before, some are said after, and there are special positions and special, there are special um, items which are done at the time of death. Um, and I can definitely give you some more information about that. I actually have here a card which has some more information, and I'll give that to you as I leave. Um, does anyone else have any other questions? We had one more. What about cremation? In Jewish tradition? Uh-huh. Traditionally, um, Jewish tradition doesn't encourage cremation. Um, there, there, there are Jews that choose to be cremated, um, but the traditional approach is that burial is the best way for a Jewish body. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you so much, Rabbi. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.